Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Jeremy Novak from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test and focus interview. Thank you very much for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today we'll be discussing a NEL1 IHC test with Dr. Sethi. But before we get started, Dr. Sethi, could you provide us with a little bit of information about you and your background? My name is Dr. Sanjeev Sethi. I'm a pathologist here at the Mayo Clinic Rochester. I specialize in only doing kidney pathology and that to non-tumor kidney pathology. So basically, I look at kidney biopsies of various native kidney diseases, such as diabetes, hypertension, inflammatory diseases of the kidney, so on and so forth. So it's a long list of diseases, genetic abnormalities, for example, that cause kidney diseases. So it's basically native kidney diseases, not the tumors. So that's what I do. And we have a huge volume here at the Mayo Clinic. I think we are the largest uh, academic center with over six to 7,000 kidney biopsies per year that we get over here. So it's a large volume and I pretty much sign out kidney biopsies on a daily basis. My background is I went to med school in India, came here and did my PhD at Albany, upstate New York, did my residency in pathology at Yale, University in Connecticut, and then I was in Boston at the Brigham and Women's Hospital at Harvard University where I did my renal pathology training. And I've been in the Mayo Clinic now, I think over 15 years, maybe close to 17, 18 years now. Perfect. And thank you for the background. And you know, I understand you've done some really exciting uh, work in the, in the area of primary membranous nephropathy. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how you were able to discover you know, the new or antigens associated with uh, membranous nephropathy. Sure, sure. So uh, the background, let's do two, sort of break it up into two. One is I was involved with laser microdissection and mass spectrometry. Uh, I found it sort of cool to be able to dissect glomeruli, which is the, the basic filtering unit in the kidney, and be able to, when you dissect these glomeruli and then perform mass spectrometry, what you do is you get a list of proteins that are expressed in the glomerulus in various diseases. So I was doing that for many diseases other than membranous from 2000 and let's say five to 2000 and almost I would say 15. So that was my background. It was just as a side hobby, dissecting glomeruli and then looking at what the mass spectrometry would spring out or what, what it would show. In 2015 or 2016, I got interested in membranous nephropathy. So let's give you a little background of membranous nephropathy. So membranous nephropathy is a relatively common disease. It causes severe proteinuria, in other words, patients who get membranous nephropathy start leaking protein out into the urine and they develop the syndrome called nephrotic syndrome. And especially Caucasian or white patients, it's the commonest cause of nephrotic syndrome, membranous nephropathy in the older patients above 50. So the cause of membranous nephropathy, what was causing membranous nephropathy was not known, I would say until 2009. 
we just knew that there was an antibody attacking some antigen in the glomerulus. And we had no idea what the cause of membranous nephropathy was. In 2009 came a seminal paper in New England Journal of Medicine by the Boston group headed by Dr. Beck, which showed that there's a particular antigen expressed on the Porocytes. Now, porocytes are cells, are cells that sort of line the capillary loops of uh, the glomerular uh, capillary tufts. And what they found was that this PLA2R was overexpressed in many patients with membranous nephropathy. That means they were making a lot of it and it was shedding into the glomerular basement membranes. And these patients were making antibodies to it. And this was a huge deal when it came out in 2009, because now we felt we had an etiology for membranous nephropathy. And it, further studies showed that while PLA2R was really cool to find, and it was very important, it was only present in about 50 to 70% of all of membranous nephropathy cases. Sometimes people like to divide membranous into primary and secondary, primary meaning it's completely no etiology known. Secondary is sometimes when membranous is associated with other diseases such as lupus or patients who have malignancies and patients who have take certain drugs, we know it causes membranous. So when you had a sort of a, a disease entity associated with membranous, we called it secondary. And when we couldn't find any disease, we called it primary. But keep in mind, both primary and secondary, we did not know what the etiology was. We did not know what the antigen was. And in 2009, PLA2R came out as this big story that changed membranous as we know it. If we include primary and secondary, it's probably 50 to 60% of all membranous. But if you look at primary alone, it probably represents 70% of the primary. Then in 2014 came another antigen that was called thrombospondin D7A. In short, we call it THSD7A. This was responsible for only one to 5%. Again, it was a New England Journal paper. Again, it was mostly primary, although some patients had malignancy as well. Yet, in spite of PLA2R and THSD7A being discovered in 2009 and 2014, there was a good 40 to 50% of the patients with membranous that the etiology was not known. In other words, the antigen was not known until 2019. So really there was a huge void in the membranous story. While you had the antigen in 50 or 60% of membranous, the remaining 40, 50%, we didn't have the antigen recognized. Now, why is this important? The reason being that, okay, so when you treat a patient with membranous nephropathy, in the past, you would just follow the proteinuria. And if the proteinuria decreased, then we thought the membranous was getting better. If the proteinuria persisted, the drug was not effective. Okay, but proteinuria is a very crude marker. It takes a long time for the proteinuria to go back to normal or even decrease. So you had to follow these patients for months and months and months to know even if the if the treatment was effective. And keep in mind the treatment was not trivial. These patients get severe immunosuppressive drugs to sort of stop making the antibody. So when PLA2R was discovered and THSD7A were discovered, now you had a marker and you could follow either the PLA2R in the kidney biopsy or you could follow the antibody titer in the serum.
So if the patient got treatment for PLA2R membranous nephropathy and the titer of PLA2R antibodies started going down, you knew you were on the right path. And then of course, if the PLA2R antibodies disappeared, the patient was cured. And then you followed these patients for a long time, and all you had to do was check the PLA2R antibody. If the antibody started rising again, you knew the patient was having a relapse and you could target it very early. Membranous nephropathy tends to be a disease with relapse and remissions, okay? So you have to follow these patients for a really, really long time. In the past, you might have had to do repeat biopsies to see if indeed the patient had membranous. So now you don't need to do biopsies. All you did was you followed the antibody titer of PLA2R. THSD7 is quite rare. So really it's, it was PLA2R. But keep in mind, 40 to 50% of patients with membranous, we still have an etiology. That's where I came in in 2017. I think I would like to think, I suddenly thought to myself, hey, listen, if I could dissect these glomeruli from patients who have membranous nephropathy and then perform proteomics or mass spectrometry, I could probably get a good idea of what the proteins are. Of course, there's thousands of proteins out there. But if I started screening these, I would probably be able to find proteins that are super highly expressed, similar to PLA2R or THSD7A. So that's how it started out. The background was, let me dissect the glomeruli from patients who are PLA2R negative, because we already know PLA2R, we already have an answer. We have an answer. So I was screening these remaining 40% of PLA2R negative membranous nephropathy. And luckily at the Mayo Clinic, membranous nephropathy is a common disease. We get four or 500 cases a year. So I had no problem in, in accumulating a large number of cases to, to study. One of the new antigens that you've discovered was called NEL1. Yes. Right? Um, right. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your work to discover NEL1 uh, yeah. and the new IHC test uh, that yes. Mayo Clinic Laboratories is going to be launching? Exactly. So what we did was we dissected glomeruli that were PLA2R negative, and we did the proteomics. And the first protein that stood out in many of these patients, to my surprise, was something called NEL1. It stands for Neural Epidermal Growth-like Factor 1. And I, of course, didn't have a clue about it, but it was very highly expressed in, in many of these PLA2R negative patients. And uh, so what I did was I said, okay, so if this is true, let's start screening. And then we screened more and more and more cases. And by the time we had screened about 200 cases, NEL1 kept popping up with certain frequency. It was not very difficult to find. And when I did the math, we found that about 10 to 15% of our PLA2R negative patients had overexpression of NEL1. And NEL1 now appears to be the second most common antigen after PLA2R. It is the second much more, at least five to 10 times more common than THSD7A and R series. So NEL1 became this, this common antigen that we were detecting on mass spectrometry of these cases. So the obvious thing was I cannot do mass spectrometry for every case was to develop an IHC test. And so the next step was to get the antibodies to NEL1 
cut the sections and stain for them. So we developed an IHC test using all other controls and it, it, it actually stains very nicely. Just as PLA2R is detected on the biopsy based on immunofluorescence or IHC, now we were able to detect NEL1 uh, on immunohistochemistry. The next step of course is developing a test for NEL1 antibodies so that we can follow these patients based on the antibody titer. But the first step is to find NEL1 on the biopsy, right? I mean, until we know that the patient has NEL1 membranous nephropathy, once we've confirmed that, then the next step would be to find if these patients do have NEL1 antibody and then be able to follow these patients just like we do with the PLA2R. So that's how we have developed the IHC for NEL1. So the way we work this into our system is when we get a case of membranous nephropathy, the first thing we do is we stain for PLA2R. So like I said, 50 to 60% of all membranous nephropathy will stain for PLA2R. Once it is negative, then the next step is to stain for NEL1. You know, out of that 40 odd percent, I'm expecting five to 10% of the cases will stain for NEL1. Oh, that's great. So that's really going to help uh, physicians to diagnosis in the most cost-effective manner, right? By yeah, looking yeah, at the for PLA to yeah. R first and then reflexing to no yeah, one. Yes, yes, exactly. There's no point doing everything at one go so that it's more cost-effective to exclude the PLA to R, then do the NEL1. I think NEL1 will change management quite a bit uh, for two reasons. One is a small subset, about 30%. So PLA2R in general belongs to the primary membranous nephropathy. That means we cannot find an underlying etiology. I mean, there's no disease association. It's just pure PLA2R. And we do not know why PLA2R is overexpressed. NEL1 has a little different story to it. While many cases of NEL1 are primary, that means we don't know what the underlying, there's no disease association. And some studies, there are multiple studies now. So the range is from 10 to 30%. So a subset of NEL1 positive patients have an underlying malignancy. So NEL1 patients need to be screened additionally, more carefully for an underlying malignancy. Remember at the initial introduction, I said membranous nephropathy is primary and secondary, and many of the secondary have a malignancy. And in case of NEL1, that is true. So a certain number of NEL1 patients will have a malignancy. So if a physician gets a, a diagnosis of NEL1 membranous nephropathy, they need to be extra vigilant in screening for hidden malignancies because it is possible that you treat the malignancy and then the membranous goes away as well. Well, so this is really going to have a benefit from for both you know a patient that's just experiencing membranous nephropathy, and it could potentially be an identifier for a potential cause of cancer. So yes, would this exactly. help identify cancer patients maybe sooner than uh, previous? Yes, exactly. So, in fact, I would even go one step ahead and say that some of these patients now this is NEL1 we've just discovered it in the last one or two years so it's relatively new and studies need to be done to prove this but I can go ahead and and maybe make even a small prediction that maybe patients who have NEL1 and have a cancer if the treatment of the cancer is successful in maybe removing the cancer if it's a, it's a localized tumor or treating the cancer would take care of the membranous nephropathy as well because the hypothesis would be that the NEL, some of the cancer itself is driving overproduction of NEL1. 
And can you speak a little bit of how, about how this, the new NEL1 IHC test that we're launching is going to benefit physicians going forward and how they, how they care for their patients? The main thing here would be that they now have an etiology. So in the past, what was going on was, okay, you had a membranous nephropathy, the patient had PLA2 or fine, you could follow these patients with the PLA2 or titer. The rest of the membranous, it was back to the old, follow the proteinuria and hope for the best. Okay, but now you have another specific marker, uh, maybe not 50 to 60%, as you'd see with NL1, with PLA2R, but at least another 10% of these patients. Now you have a very specific marker called NL1. So not only can you make an accurate diagnosis, you can also follow these patients based on the NL1 expression. At this point, I might introduce to you that, yes, we have found NEL1, which takes care of about 10% of our patients of membranous nephropathy. But going ahead, we have found two or three more antigens. Uh, some of them, are, one of them is called semaphore and 3B. One of them is called protocadherin 7. There's a third one called exostosin. And these are all IHC-based tests that we are developing over here. So by the time we are done, uh, we hope to target close to 90% of all membranous nephropathy. The IHC will be etiology-based. And almost in every case of membranous nephropathy, we'll be able to come up with, with, the, with the answer of a specific antigen. And NEL1 is just the first one in our list that's coming out. Well, that's really great news, Dr. Sethi. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. This was really informative and we really appreciate you taking the time with us. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.